You are listening to the Future Drive Podcast. I'm Jermaine Muller, your host, and every episode I have conversations with great people working on even greater things, and you get to listen in. We talk about where they got started. Oh my goodness, like, I can't believe this is happening. Like, I'm going to work in TV. How do I, how do I even, like, I don't know how to present. <laughs> what do I do? What they've done. I started uh, paying me at home with, with no clients. I think uh, within the first six months, we had $600,000 turnover. The next uh, year, it was $9 million and then $15 million. The lessons they have learnt. But we did not get the grant. And we're about two weeks out and $20,000 down. And much, much more. I hope you enjoy. Hello, Future Tribe. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. On this week's episode, we've got Joe Clay. Joe, tell me a bit about yourself and what you do. Hello, thank you for having me. I am uh, many, many things. I run a company called Send and Shred, which is a recycling company. And I write books and I run a climate change project called The Carbon Diet. And at the moment, I'm running a campaign for the ACT Greens in the ACT election. Wow. I um, I did Google <laughs> your name and I just... I, kept seeing everywhere i think you've written for her canberra or you have a profile there um you were on the canberra innovation networks website um you're just everywhere which is which is awesome give us give us an idea of if you don't mind me asking how old you are and when you sort of got into all this was it sort of recently or have you always been one of those people who had your finger in all sorts of different things yeah no i don't mind at all i'm 43 years old um look i i grew up in canberra i started out uh, very conventionally, I guess. I did. I finished a law degree and a creative arts degree, slightly unconventionally. Um, and I started out my life in the public service, as many of us do in Canberra. And I worked in a few places, had some good jobs and some jobs that I didn't like so well. And I think as I went gradually through, I realised that I wanted to do something that would be really helpful for the environment which is where I've moved further and further and further into sustainability, hence the climate change and the recycling sort of venture. Um, and I also realised, you, you, you learn a bit more about yourself, I think, as you get older and as you try more things. I realised that I actually really enjoy doing odd things out on my own um, and taking little risks, and I actually get a bit stifled in structures. So I think that's probably why I'm quite a good fit for entrepreneurship um and art and we'll see about politics i don't know but it's, it's a lot of those you know slightly unusual slightly less structured things yeah so is this your first sort of go at politics yes it is yeah i i'm i'm an environmentalist um and i'm i'm not a politician at all but i've been in the climate change activist area i, I go to the school strike for climate and i've helped out with stop adani and a lot of those things which, and I, i've run a climate change project and i'm really really worried about climate change i think like every rational human being on the planet right now and i i think the more you see other people doing these amazing things and i've seen people you know get themselves arrested and and make these amazing sacrifices for the sake of the planet and all this all of these things you're like well what can i do and what i could do was i could start a recycling company and then when the opportunity came up with the greens i thought yep i could do that that's something i can i don't know if i'll win but i can i can give that a go you can give it a go yeah Yeah. so i mean there's i think two big things that we'll tackle um during our conversation one Mm. is 
definitely the politics side of things and we'll get into that um and the other side is a bit more of what our listeners and what we're used to talking about which is business and entrepreneurship and innovation and just doing sort of you know new things and doing taking risks and experimenting and and all that but before we roll into the two give give me an idea of sort of what responsibilities you have sort of what things you have to balance out because you're doing all these things but then you know as i like to say always on the podcast there's the realities of life realities of having to earn an income realities of having a family or responsibilities How, how's that like give us give us an idea of where that's at before we roll into the two things so that we understand how many things you have to juggle <laughs> yeah look i i think that's i think that's real i actually i i do quite a lot of different things i pick things up quite quickly but I actually don't, I'm not a work a hundred hours a week kind of person. I, mm. I burn out. And there are some entrepreneurs who are, I've, there's a bit of a myth in the entrepreneur sort of circle of, you know, the success means, you know, you, you give yourself three heart attacks and you mortgage the house and you go bankrupt. <laughs> and then that's, that's great for the people who are that committed. I actually don't feel like that's me at all. Mm-hmm. So I think coming into it at the age of 43, I've had some time to earn a salary. I have a partner who earns a salary, which means that relieves some pressure. And I always recommend that's a great idea for anyone running ventures. I know a lot of politicians and artists who do it that way. One person Mm -hmm. has a very unreliable source of income and the other one has a fixed one. It's actually a good, if, if you, if, if you can make it. If you you can swing it, that's, that's definitely (laughs) a good thing to have, isn't it? It's just to have some level of stability so that at least, you know, 50% of the partnership is, is stable and, and you, you then, I think that unlocks a certain level of, especially you mentioned sort of you've had time to earn a salary and, you know, build up some sort of savings maybe. Um, it gives you a, a confident base to operate out of versus either, like you mentioned, working yourself to the bone that you're giving yourself heart attacks or mortgaging mm-hmm. everything and trying to trying to sort of just survive on nothing to make your dreams work or doing the other route, which is just trying to find an external investment to just, you know, but then, then that's a whole different world where to me, you come across as someone who's doing things out of passion um, as much as out of sort of trying to make a change in the world and all those things. So for you, I'm, I'm sure it's just much better to be able to make the decisions yourself rather than say have investors sort of bring it down your neck, asking for a return on their investment. Yeah, look, and it, it is, and we did, for the recycling company, we did get investors, but we sort of went with a small pool and we have people who are very clear about what the outcomes are going to be. And I, I, I've i spoken to a lot of CEOs and entrepreneurs where if you, you get the monies in, and the monies is always great, but there are <laughs> a lot of expectations that go with that capital funding. So you do have to be a little bit careful, I think. I think too, I, I, have, a, I have a daughter, I have a six-year-old, Mm-hmm. Um, and I would not dream of taking on a political campaign any earlier than when she was at school. And I love and admire the women who have babies and who manage that, but it, I, I would not have been able to. So I think it's, yeah, it would have, it would have yeah, a, a baby and a business and a stint of politics would have been one thing too many for me. Would have been too crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah so yeah. when did you, when did you start the, the business? Is it called Shred and Save? Is that right? Yeah. Send and yep. Shred. Yeah. Send and oh, Shred. Yeah. Send and Shred. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. It's a recycling company. We, um, Graham, my business partner, Graham, who I used to work with uh, in waste and recycling in government, he actually came up with the idea and look, he came up with the idea about five years ago. It's a really good idea. It's, we've found a, there are a lot of these uh, 
problem waste streams and a lot of companies are popping up to, to, to deal with that problem waste stream. So there's ManRags that does clothes, there's Mobile Master that does phones. We do documents for the home office. So there's a lot of individual sort of problems. Mm -hmm. um, he came up with this business model and look, we kicked it around for a couple of years. We then took it to the green shed and then we formed a company in 2018 and we launched in, uh, we formed the company in 2017. We launched the product in 2018. So we're in our, we've just had our second year of operating that company. I think we are past the startup phase um, and we're up to that next little difficult prepubescent <laughs> yeah, sort of the troubled teenage stages of the troubled of teenage, sort of yeah. yeah. So we're we're in that scaling up. So we're fairly well established in Canberra, and our business model is uh, a national business model. So we 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 are scaling up and starting to find our e-commerce national marketing presence and scaling up our customer base. Um, but we're not sort of quite there yet. I, I realistically, I remember Tiny at the Green Shed. He's run a lot of businesses. He's very very entrepreneurial in Canada. There's a, there's a good entrepreneur for you to speak to. But he said to me early in the piece that, it, you know, three to five years, and I think that's probably realistic. And it's, yeah. I think it's actually good for pacing to have a, an idea of where the finish line is. Yes, yes. So tell us a little bit about what you guys do through Send and Shred. I would love to. <laughs> so we, what we noticed is when people print paper in the office, in the workplace, they usually put it in a secure locked blue bin and then a company comes and takes that locked bin away and shreds the paper and it gets recycled so that works brilliantly at work people don't have that at home so people were using home shredders to protect their their sensitive information and and guard against identity theft um, and that's fine so far as it goes but they're a bit fiddly to use and the shredded paper doesn't get recycled so if you put that if you put a whole piece of paper in your yellow topped bin it gets recycled if you shred it first it the council recycling facilities can't actually process it. It gets tangled up and it blows around. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, so, so if it's shredded paper, even at work, we, well, actually we haven't emptied the shredder for a little while, but when we do, we would normally empty it into the recycle bin, but we're not actually doing necessarily the right thing. It might be. So in the workplace, you'd need to check because you have a different, it depends on who your commercial yes. recycler is. At home, and this is the same problem all around Australia, they're all different council facilities, but they all have the same problem. They're, they're all built to deal with big pieces of paper. And that's what they were designed mm -hmm. for, envelopes mm -hmm. and pages and, you know, quite large A4 pieces. A4 sheets of paper, yeah. Absolutely. Like, yeah. like the, the kind of thing that you hold up to someone and they say, that's a sheet of paper, not yeah. um, the kind of thing that you hold up to someone and they say, that's a shredded sheet of paper. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So we, we, that's, that's, and we knew that when we were, Graham and I were working in government together and it's a con, it, it was a perennial problem of, you know, what about the shredded paper? It actually causes a lot of trouble and it ends up in landfill. So he came up with this business model and we worked it up together. We've patented it actually. It's, um, we've, we've put a bit of IP into it. It's, we send out, post out through Australia Post, a, a plastic bag, you fill it up with whole pages, you lodge it in the post office, you track it back and we've got a little ping on our website that helps you track it back it goes to a secure recycling factory we shred and recycle it there and then we give you a certificate of destruction so we've basically taken that commercial service that was working quite well in the workplace and we've come up with a home office version of that okay and now i have two questions that come to mind <laughs> the first one is how do you monetize this what's the commercial viability around this and as a second part 
how do you ensure that this doesn't get intercepted in between you know your home and the recycling facility sure i'll I'll take the first i'll take the second question first it's a bit easier it's it's a pretty secure chain so ospost is fairly secure so the same chain that sent you that secure document in the first place you know that letter or that bank statement or that passport is then processing it on that secure chain it's tracked so you can actually see where it is and we give you a destruction certificate and then at the end of the Ospost delivery it gets collected by a uniformed security vetted shredex staff member um, and taken to a secure facility that is locked cctv monitored police cleared staff and it's actually it meets the same requirements that government agencies and asio uh, right. agencies use so it's actually quite a so the chain is quite secure, secure and we haven't yeah. had any problems and, and well i mean you make a good point of well jermaine um the the same way you received that thing just reverse it which is such a such a good you know good point um because yeah. I, I didn't think about it that way but you, yeah if, if if it's safe enough for you know your bank to send you your credit card and, and personal details um in the mail then why isn't it safe for the um same thing to happen the other way around reverse it we actually it's interesting though that it actually was before we had launched the business that was one of the biggest risks we had um my insurance premium dropped 75 percent after the first year because the first time anybody hears about this they're like oh my god this is very risky and then once you run for a year or two now we're up to two you're like yeah it actually is fine it's really fine yeah um and look in a lot of ways it's actually even safer mostly if something does go missing in the mail it's almost always because it's been misaddressed mm-hmm. and ours is all pre-printed addressing so it's Hard yeah, to do. so that it, it's it's a really valid question, but it, it hasn't actually turned out to be a problem. The first question is the more interesting one. So recycling is tricky. We we running this business, we're coming into it as recyclers and environmentalists, and I think that's where most of the people running these recycling ventures come from. It does work commercially, but the margins are very tight because Australians don't really want to pay for their recycling. So we charge $24.95 for a bag and our customers will pay that. But I think if, if, if you're a ruthless sort of business entrepreneur, you would want to be making much bigger profit margins. I think it probably just wouldn't be that appealing. And most of the people running these schemes like Mobile Muster or Man Rakes, they're either kind-hearted recyclers or there's a whole lot of industry backing behind them they're quite it's quite much it does work but they're quite much yeah but but you're sort of always um sort of teetering on you know sort of small thing goes wrong you're you're sort of posting a loss if everything goes right you're posting a profit but you know you're not talking sort of multi-million dollar profits or losses either way it's just a very neutral sort of business to run because you know you make a good point of you have to balance it out because you might be environmentally thoughtful or conscious, mm-hmm. but you also don't want to pay too much of a premium for that. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can't, as a business, charge too much because you're then not achieving what's almost a social enterprise um, or an environmental enterprise. Um, so you've got to balance it out because you want enough adoption because then your overall business is more sound and more commercially viable. But yeah, it's a yeah, spot on. It's a fine balance. Yes, but yeah, absolutely spot on. So it, it does work, but it's um, I, I suspect anybody who's going to start a recycling venture probably won't have money as their primary motivation. Um, <laughs> and I would love to be proven wrong. I really hope so. I shouldn't say that actually. Some of the recycling ventures, so the Green Shed is a really good 
business that hires 75 staff and, you know, makes money. So some of them do quite well, but generally speaking, recycling is quite expensive industry to work in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no doubt. Now, especially, I guess, when you're trying to recycle something like paper that has inherently not a lot of value, um, then, then say, you know, we have clients who work in um, the technology recycling space, and I know there's a lot more money there um, because there's inherently more more gold, more valuable minerals and materials within those things where paper's a sheet, it's a sheet of paper. No matter how much you, you know, break it down, it's, it's sort of at its very simple form. It's not, it's more a commodity than a, than a valuable sort of um, thing that you, you, you know, um, gold, for example, like people trade with gold, you wouldn't necessarily trade with paper nowadays, at least. Yeah, no, that's absolutely um, right. It's interesting too, in Australia, we've, since the China waste ban, a lot of these markets have been disrupted. And I actually, I'm always in two minds about how much government should have to pay for and do all our recycling and where the role is for the private businesses. And it's obviously, there's a balance. There's obviously a balance there, but it's, I think it's a constantly shifting balance. I think you've got to keep re-looking at it and saying, what are, what are our goals as a society? If we want a circular economy, which bits do we support? Which bits do we pay for? How, how is it going to work? Yeah, yeah, certainly. And it takes some, you know, possibly some generational sort of uh, new generations coming through with different core beliefs, perhaps, um, and different focuses there as well. Now, tell me a little bit about when you guys started, how you, how you got the message out there? Did you, what, what did it look like? What did you do? What was the, you know, was there a lot of branding, logo design, web design involved? Or was it more of a simplistic beginning? How did you get the word out? Tell me a little bit about that. Oh, I'd love to. We did it all wrong. Ah, everybody, <laughs> probably everybody tells you that. We did everything wrong the first time around. <laughs> we, um, we originally started, we wanted to be a bricks and mortar business. Um, so right. We, in, yeah, yes. And we are not. Yes. So we originally thought that we would be selling in shops. Um, and we put a lot of effort into getting our product placed in shops. Now, I cannot tell you in 2020 how delighted I am that that failed and we are an e-commerce business only. That is just marvellous, just marvellous. Um, so we started out with a very basic, not particularly well-built website, not particularly well-designed that cost a lot because it was custom-built, which is not the way I would recommend anybody do it. We put a lot of effort into our product design. We got that done. We did that well. Um, it mm -hmm. turned out to be weirdly difficult to design a plastic bag, but we managed. Um, we had a couple of goes. The first batch we got back from the factory broke, and then we had to go back to the go back to first principles, start all over again, push our launch back, find a new factory. We actually found a we actually physically toured factories in Shenzhen and found a factory that. Uh, actually designs police evidence bags and bank mm -hmm. coin bags and those high security bags because we just accidentally picked somebody who said they could do the job, but they were basically giving us weak, flimsy career bags. It wasn't, wasn't good enough. Um, because so you've think, got to sort of hit a fine balance there again, don't you, where you don't want the bags to be too too good for what you're trying to achieve because that introduces weight. And then, you know, on a, on a large scale, that's a lot of lot minimization of material that you can transport but then you can't have it to be too flimsy because you have this responsibility to make sure it's a robust sort of bag that that can make it through the trip there and back yeah absolutely it was good we are uh, we ended up uh, talking to the product designers in Auspost who we 
probably hadn't gotten the right information the first time around. And then I spoke to this lovely bloke, Tony, who told me about the kitchen table test. I'm not sure if he wants me to reveal the kitchen table test, but I'm about to. <laughs> Uh, yep. Kitchen table test. It's, it's an Australia Post, very uh, scientifically designed test in which you pick up your product and fling it down on the ground 10 times over the kitchen table. And if it doesn't break, that's a good product. You're good to go. Yeah. Nice. So we, that's good, <laughs> well, yeah. sometimes it's those, it's those simple tests, right? That, that you, I think, because there's very much the other side of things where people um, overthink it and then you miss the whole point. Um, so this is just a classic let's let's just do what what we want this bag to withstand so i <laughs> love it yeah it was good so we so we put a lot of effort into trying to get into bricks and mortar shops and didn't succeed for various reasons like news agents and <laughs> supermarkets or um we did a, we did a tiny little effort in news agents and supermarkets um we thought we'd be a really good fit for australia post shops because mm-hmm. when you lodge, you would pick up another one. Um, and look, that may be something that happens still one day. It's something that we're still working on. Um, and we tried some of the big stationers and flatteringly, rather flatteringly, one of them, I won't name it, uh, said that we were too much of a competitor for their fellows shredders. I'm like, yes, yeah, wow. I think we're a threat. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we didn't, we didn't sort of place it there. And by this stage, of course, we'd launched and we were selling online. I'm like, well, you know, the overheads are quite good. The fixed costs are quite low. Maybe we should just do this. And at that point, I had a really good look at what we had and realised that we were not really doing e-commerce because we found ourselves accidentally in e-commerce. So we went back and did proper e-commerce <laughs> and nice. sort of fixed it up a bit. It's it's that some, you know, knowing when to pivot, knowing when to change, knowing when to um, not necessarily call it quits, but just change the direction that you were running in. Um Sometimes that that makes all the difference, I would say. Mm. Um, so no, that 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 makes total sense. So um, where was where was I going to go? Where was I going to go? Um, so <laughs> you're you've got so you you guys sort of started that, but then when you relaunched, what did you what did you do different the second time around apart from going e-commerce? We got a grant. We did oh. we did the first batch all on private funding. Um, right. We actually, we were we were really we didn't get a very big grant. You don't need much for e-commerce. E-commerce actually really appeals to me. If I do another venture, I will just do e-commerce because I'm a I'm sort of a high risk person. I quite like to give things a go, but I'm also a low risk person. I don't want to have heart attacks and mortgage my house. So <laughs> e-commerce is sort of this nice little thing in between where you don't yeah. need to you know sell your firstborn. You can actually set things up and see what happens. So we, we managed to get um, an Innovation Connect grant, which is marvellous. And we, we, for the specific purpose of up, updating our e-commerce. So I then went back and redid our website. And I do, did it myself, which is, oh, my goodness, so much easier than instructing someone else to do it. Um, and we have a marvellous e-commerce website that has all the actual genuine e-commerce features that you need of, you know, voucher sales and automated email marketing and abandoned cart alerts and all all of that very very standard streamlined tools mm-hmm. that the second you get them optimized you suddenly realize oh goodness this is why people like e-commerce yeah yeah because i mean you make a good point there once you once you get it optimized once you understand that there's sort of these levers that you just increase and decrease as you need until you get this perfectly 
balanced sort of system, you then can hit like you can decide, you know, when you need to turn, turn things up, when you need to decrease things. When um, I, I know some of the clients that we work with, they, they know, you know, it's very predictable that they know, you know, this date, this time, they've got to send um, this email with this offer to increase sales or when sales are too much, this is how they can not de- decrease them, but sort of control how much is coming through. And that's the beauty with, with e-commerce that you could possibly do it with brick and mortar, but you, you can't control the inflow of traffic in the same way that you can um, with e-commerce. Yeah. Oh, look, I don't, I, I, bricks and mortar and I haven't cracked that. I, obviously, you know, other people have. It's very expensive to advertise a bricks and mortar product and a new bricks and mortar venture. And I actually, we were doomed from the start on that, to be perfectly frank. The only entrepreneurs I have met who have really succeeded using traditional advertising methods are not selling $25 widgets. They are selling, you know, great big software packages or something a bit bigger. So we, we experimented with a lot of traditional advertising and it's just so expensive. It's, it would be impossible to convert enough to make up the costs. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, that's so true. It's, you would, again, you would hit that, uh, I guess, point of needing so much like mass market appeal um, that, that in the first few years, it would just be silly to um, think that you're going to hit that unless you're willing to invest so much, so much money. And then by that point, all you're doing is speeding up a process that would have eventually happened anyway. Um, is, is the way I see it, you know, it's sort of the, you know, do you want to be the McDonald's or the Hilton, um, where, where it's, it's either cheap, but mass market and so many stores in every corner or the Hilton where, you know, very few of us would be eating there, but we'd pay a pretty penny to do so. And both result in big, you know, good margins, but for very different reasons. So, um, yeah, love that. It's a, it's a really interesting concept. How do you, sort of manage the eco-friendly side of things i assume the plastic bags themselves are recyclable yes they are yeah so we we actually because because we're recyclers um we sort of sorted out our chain and set up our service arrangements probably first before we've done anything else so the paper gets shredded and sent to an australian pulp mill and gets turned back into paper and our paper we it's we call it high quality office wipes it's mostly mm-hmm. very high quality office paper that is going into those bags and it stays quite high up the chain and most of it then gets turned back into reflex office paper. So that's easy. The plastic bags is, oh, I love talking recycling. You'll have to, you'll have to hose me down. The plastic <laughs> bags are, yeah. So there's a, there's a newish business model, um, Plastic Forests in Albury. They're a soft plastic recycling company. So they actually take the red cycle uh, soft plastics from Coles uh, mm. So you know how you can drop off your soft plastics and you can't. Yes. Plastic? Yeah. So mm. they're they're the end they're the end factory that processes those and they turn it back into pelletized plastic and these little garden edging plastic products that they sell in Bunnings. So it's a circular plastic and it act interestingly because we were in a plastic bag product that itself has been a bit of a marketing problem. So our first few product designs we were absolutely dead set we wanted to have this thing in a box or in a right. tough bag paper satchel because mm-hmm. we liked it better and we thought it would appeal to our customers more. And we still have customers who say, oh, I'm, I'm not touching plastic. Like, but it gets recycled. It's, it's <laughs> plastic. It can be recycled. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, we, ours is, 
You're right. Yes. Not all plastic is recycled. Ours is because we send it to the, it comes to our factory yes. and we send yes. it to the library. So we, yeah, I, I, yeah. yeah, ours is. I just, I just wanted to clarify that just because, yeah, yeah. you know, um, it's, 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 it's the same question that I had was, you know, okay. And, and you hear all this, I, I, to be honest, I've never done the research around it, but you know, things like, okay, biodegradable plastics are good, but you know, they take a hundred years to break down and they're still, you know, end up in landfill and all like there's, there's all this, I think, almost mystique around it because I think there's certain commercial interests um, um, or companies that have commercial interests to educate us, not, not miseducate us, but not quite educate us as much as they need to. Um, and then there's labels like biodegradable that um, I think the common or the, the general person thinks is one thing, but in reality it isn't quite that same thing. So um, it's, it's, I think important to clarify um, just that when someone here's this interview, they can understand that, yes, you know, this product is set up in such a way. And it's all, it sounds to me like it's more the right decision of materials, but also the supply chain and how, how things end up where they need to end up than necessarily, you know, it's not like a proprietary, you know, material that you guys invented that, that is some special plastic. It's just that it ends up in the right place so that people know what to do with it. Yeah. Look, it's, it's, it's a really, good point to clarify there is a lot of confusion about plastics there's been a lot of i don't want to say intentional mislabeling but i agree with you the ACCC has looked at the manufacturers of bioplastics and compostable degradable it's this Mm -hmm. it is very difficult to know um for communications we realized the best thing to do was to tell people specifically what we're doing and where it goes and once they know that they relax a little because we can say here's here's where it goes, here's our chain, and here's a picture of what it turns into at the end, and here's the guy that you can verify with the third party if you're really that interested, and every now and then somebody will. Um, <laughs> it's, I think this is, and this is where I, I guess I put on my greens hat and my climate change hat, we really need to start thinking about this when we do design products, and this is the challenge for governments, I think, and politicians and society as a whole. We can't just design something, anything, and not think about, where it's come from and where it goes. That's what a circular economy is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you actually mm-hmm. have to, when you, like we, we, we did it accidentally, I guess, because we are recyclers and we set up a recycling service. So we did set up the full chain, but we actually need to do that with everything. We need to think about, you know, when, 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 when I, when I sell this to somebody, if they use it for a day or a decade, what happens to it at the end of that life? And has anyone set up a chain for that? Hello, Future Tribe. I just wanted to take a break from this episode to talk to you, yes you, about the fact that you are listening to this episode, but you're not subscribing. So go ahead, hit the subscribe button right now. It really helps us out. I should also ask you to join our Facebook community. There's a link in the description. Check out the YouTube channel for unedited full-length clips of the podcast. And tell your friends, ask them to subscribe. If you have any suggestions of who we should try and get on the podcast next and who we should have a conversation with, reach out to us. All our social links and contact details are in the description. That's it from me for now. Back to the episode. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think, you know, this is a nice segue into, into what you do sort of on the, on the more political side, but um, quickly touching the climate change and the, and the green sort of side of things. I wouldn't call myself sort of a, you know, uh, a crazy climate change 
guy, like, you know, sort of preaching to everyone about all these things and, you know, cycling around and um, so on and so forth. But at the very least, what I try and do personally, and I think this is something that is very easy to do for the average person, is just think about, you know, when you purchase something for, uh, and, and this happens a lot in products and it's commercially driven because, people are price sensitive. So they might buy a really cheap thing and be only able to use it for three months because it'll deteriorate. You know, where where I can, I would make the decision to buy something, you know, made of a better material or a stronger material because it will last for two years, even if it costs more money. Um, because that that in my in my head at least is better than buying four new things every year or eight things for the equivalent life um, life cycle of of one other thing. Um, and then thinking about, like you said, where things come from, what's who, who's, who's, you know, making these things that they can be sold for so cheap. Like, you know, some, some products, I just look at them and I, I just think to myself, like there has to be what is more or less slavery involved um, to create these things that, that we then use, admire, pay companies massive amounts of money for, for them to make huge, huge margins on. And it's just about sort of being a bit more thoughtful. And I think in this day and age, like we have so much information out there. Yes, there's also misinformation, but what's stopping you from Googling, you know, almost anything and looking into it? Yeah, it's, it's absolutely right. I think the problem is now so too much information, which is exactly why I started my carbon diet project. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. I saw that come up as well. Yeah. yeah. But look, the, um, I think the, the general guidance of get something that lasts for a long time is really good. I've been looking at carbon accounting and different aspects of the carbon footprint for a long time and recycling. And I've, I've, I've got hundreds of thousands of words on the topic. But it all boils down. There are two principles and they work in every situation that I've found so far. And that's use less, choose greener in that order. Mm. So first of all, mm. if you can use less of it, you do. And then second of all, you pick whatever is the greener source. And maybe for recycling, that means, you know, it's re- made from recycled and then can be recycled for, you know, different fields. It's lower energy, lower emissions, whatever. But you can always, always do that with your purchasing. Yeah, that's such a good thought process for Mm. and like you say i I can't think of an instance where it wouldn't apply of just ask yourself do i even need this thing first and then if you do what's the best decision that i can make based on the information that i have and what's what's available to me so that's that's yeah that's that's a nice sort of little two two item two prong test for everyone to do if you're if you're listening and want to be a little bit more conscious without necessarily going to an extreme about it all um let's talk about the political side of things now how does someone find themselves in and you know to be honest i'm not completely across politics um i it's i think it's sort of an intentional thing for that i just sort of go information overload there's a lot more stuff in business that i'm interested in but um first give me an idea of what you're running for and what that means in in sort of the political system sure thing so i am running for the seat of ginandera which is the bill Connon district in canberra and i'm running for a seat in the act legislative assembly um, and in the ACT, we have, it's a combined state and local council system. So we don't have a state and a council. We perform both roles. There are 25 seats in the Legislative Assembly. The Greens, uh, who I'm running for, currently hold two of those 25 seats and they hold the balance of power. So they are quite influential. And despite the fact that they only have two seats, they've got 100% renewable electricity into the Canberra grid. 
um, and we've declared a state of climate change emergency and done a few quite interesting things like that. So that's that's the stakes, I suppose. And so um, how did you find yourself in this position to sort of, yeah, like run, running for, for, for some sort of position in government? It's, it's a weird thing. I don't know if you've ever read Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh, my um, English teachers are going to wince a little bit. I, I think we're supposed to like study it, read it, watch it, but no. <laughs> so in, in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, there is this uh, distant planet where the people are ruled by lizards and the lizards rule the people. And the people hate the lizards and the lizards hate the people. And every election, the people show up and vote for a lizard. And people say, well, why did you vote for a lizard? Because otherwise the wrong lizard would get in. <laughs> so I think I, I, which I think is probably where, what I think of politics too, frankly. I think this is probably what the average person thinks of politics. Um, look, I'm not sort of a, a, a politician by nature. I've actually only been a member of the Greens party itself for a year and a half. I'm quite new to that party process. I never really had a view that I would run. I'm not somebody who's decided they would have a career in politics. The reason I am doing it is because we needed some candidates in Ginandera. There was a, you know, there was somebody had a few words to me and there was, there was an opportunity there. Um, and I sort of looked around and I thought, yeah, there's all this stuff going on with climate change. I can see the, I'm a member of the AST Greens. I can see that they have genuinely achieved real climate action on an ACT scale and they can take it up to the national level. I can genuinely see that if we can do that, we can do that. We, we can get e-cars, we can get off gas, we can do all the next bits of technology that, you know, I see happening in Europe and all these other countries. We could do it here, but we need mm-hmm. to have the voices in there to do it. So it's, uh, it, yeah, there you go, the accidental politician, the accidental lizard. You can call me the accidental lizard. <laughs> I, I, that's such a, it's the first time I've heard someone sort of explain it in that way that it makes sense, right? It's almost like it's the system. So you, you're not going to fundamentally change it so that what happens won't happen anymore. So the, the next best thing is it's almost like if you can't beat them, join them and then, you know, hope for change from within, like join, join the team that or join the group of bullies, but then, then slowly convert every single one. So they're no longer, and I'm not calling politicians bullies. Don't, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm just saying it's just another way of thinking about it. Right. They're just a sort of a group of people. It is a group of, and I think it's, it's quite common for the greens too. So a lot of the greens politicians were activists. So Shane Roddenberry, who's our, our current ACT party leader, he, he used to run um, one of the uh, green lobby groups. Um, Caroline Lacuda has been an activist for a long time. So it's actually, I think it would be very unusual in the other parties. I don't know that I haven't come across anybody who's come from that background, but for the Greens, often there's a bunch of activists who are worried about a certain issue, a certain topic, often the environment, and you work on that for a long time. And then if you see an opportunity to work on the inside, you're like, well, I'll pop over here. You guys keep yeah. you guys keep up the good work over there. Keep you know, keep chucking stuff at us, and we'll see how we go. Yeah, it's um, it's an interesting one. I, I, I'll I'll tell you that. Like I've um, I, I want you know personally. I think my sort of goal is to have as much of an impact in in just general sort of the community and give back as much as I can. And um, sometimes I do think, you know, maybe, maybe politics is the way to go. And then I always think, um, well, you look at, you look at sort of what's um, happening 
nowadays. And I think instead what what another option is just business in general has so much power and uh, our business we do we do marketing we do we do advertising so we're almost in a privileged position to be able to get a certain message across um, and do it without having to necessarily pay a third party as as much as you know someone else with that with the lack of that expertise has to do so it's yeah and i've had this chat with a lot of other people who've sort of mentioned you know oh my brothers think you're running for this and you know my sister's running for that and so on and so forth and we always come back to well if you can if you can swing it and it's harder as an individual i think as an individual you're best to do sort of this a similar thing to what you're doing sort of joining in on the system but then you know i guess i come back to let's try and build a business that has enough if we, if we think about it, a lot of social causes um unfortunately businesses don't the big businesses don't like to push social causes. They just like to bandwagon when it's, I think, um, commercially beneficial for them, um, like all these different movements. Um, but I, I just don't see why businesses couldn't just, you know, sort of push that themselves rather than saying, you need to buy our latest shiny gadget. You know, why can't they make intentional decisions? Um, I, I think the, the, the answer is because of money and um, just the general capitalism. But um, general, general capitalism is a permanent tension, and I will say that I think our business growth with Send and Shred is probably slower than it would be if you didn't put a socialist in as your chief marketing officer. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I, I come from the set point of nobody should buy anything ever. Oh, but here's this thing that you should buy, which is not, not how most, most CEOs would be running it. Um, but I actually think now, I think there is a really growing conscious consciousness um, of ethical business and I think starting or joining an ethical business is a very powerful way to make a massive difference that often you can implement much faster than any government agency can and I, I look at I look at uh, medium-sized businesses like the Green Shed in Canberra which does an awful lot of good and they do they have a they're a huge network of junk empire businesses but they do a lot of they've given over a million dollars to charity as well in cash so they do a lot of social Good as well. And then I look at a lot of the new, they're probably not that new now, but the, the new business models like Australian Ethical and Future Super and a lot of these divestment companies, there's a huge range of socially and environmentally aware businesses. I would never, anybody who has a conscience and wants to be a business person, I think it is a really good time to do that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think, um, and, and it's, it's, I think it's just the general societal sort of consciousness is is mm. at a level where at least it's slowly increasing the number of people who think in that way that it's more about um i would hope you know what what's happening to society as a whole what's happening to the environment what's happening to everything mm. rather than what's happening to me what can i have what can i have more of what's going to be better for me per yeah. se yeah look i think that's true too so a lot of these things are small shares but all of the all of the models that I've come across in my various ventures, you look at uh, things like the new plant foods, and it's a tiny proportion of the population eating um, a plant foods only diet. You know, one or two percent, but the market share on the supermarket fake meats is is doing this. Mm-hmm. And electric vehicles are the same, and the divestment is the same. So all of these things are very very small, but they're the ones that are quickly growing. Particularly in 2020, I run a number of share portfolios and the ethical share portfolios are performing extremely well and Mm -hmm. the conventional ones are not so i think i think we may be at this little bit of a turning point where collectively 
we're starting to say, yeah, that's not really a good way of doing things anymore. Exactly. And, you know, all, all majorities at one point were a minority. So um, I guess it's, it's, only a, it's only a matter of time, right? I mean, even mm-hmm. iPhones and Apple these days, it's, it's so humongous that you wouldn't think that, you know, in the late 90s, Apple was a bit of a joke. It was, you know, Apple's who? It's all Microsoft and this and that. So, um, oh my God, that's so recently too. I ex- remember exactly. the late 90s. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in the late 90s, right? Like to have an Apple or to have a Mac product would have been such a hipster sort of, you know, you're so different sort of thing to do. Um, where nowadays, that's that's what you know, the average person, if someone said, I have an iPhone, it would be, it wouldn't be very surprising. So, um, that, that, I guess that's just me saying that, you know, these things are, they're small movements for the moment, but, um, to me, it, it does look like, and, and, and business as well. It just looks like b- people are being more conscious about things. Um, mm-hmm. and the big behemoths, I think will realize that it's commercially better for them to be sustainable. And, you know, is that the worst outcome? Not really. Like if, if it's commercial, you know, commercial reasons that push someone to be more, more green, well, that's okay for now. You know, we'll just, hopefully that'll inspire the next generation to be actually green for, for ethical purposes rather than commercial purposes. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I've, I've given up trying to win people's hearts or souls. I don't really care. I'm happy to just win their outcomes. Um, and particularly in renewable electricity, I think that's what we saw very clearly. So the climate change people and the environmentalists like me pretty much talked about it the wrong way for 30 years. Um, and then when the solar panel industry started taking off, they didn't even bother talking about the environment. They just talked about saving money. And that turned out to be very effective. And I'm like, right, so we'll, we'll just do that then. <laughs> so I think so Def- long as however you get there in the end, it's all right. That, yeah, that, 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 and that's what I come back to as well. As long as the overall, the net benefit is positive, um, you know, obviously you, you try and do things, you would do things ethically, but, you know, as long as the outcomes are positive in the end, that's, that's at least a, a more of a win than, than not having that outcome at all. Um, just before we wrap up, tell me a little bit more about like what you hope to do moving forward and where we can find out a bit more about you. Google, Google Joe Clay, apparently you'll get a lot of hits on <laughs> very many different random things. Um, look, I've, I've got my website, The Carbon Diet, and that is the project around for a couple of years where I cut my footprint and that of the average Australian by 75% running different one-week experiments. I am hoping to turn that into a book. I've written a lot of articles and made some short films and done some artworks on that, but I'm hoping to turn that into a uh, chatty book at some stage because... I started that project when I read books like this in other countries and there wasn't anything in Australia. So I'm hoping to turn that around. I'm obviously hoping to win a seat for the ACT Greens in the ACT election. And then I'm hoping to turn, to continue with Send and Shred and, and turn that into a, uh, an Australian behemoth. I have three conflicting goals and I can't really tell you which one of those will, will turn out. <laughs> But it sounds, you know, it sounds like you've got a lot on your plate and a lot of um, things to look forward to. And I think um, that alone is is awesome and, you know, wish you the best on, on all those different frontiers. And I think um, by the sounds of it, no matter which one wins or the, the which one sort of ends up taking over most of your life, um, those will be good outcomes regardless. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> awesome are you ready to go into the top 12 oh yes sorry i haven't prepped my top 12 we'll just have to we'll have to wing it let's 
That's all right. Let's just wing it. That's the whole point. <laughs> Top three um, books or podcasts that you recommend. Are you a reader or a podcast listener? I am a reader. My favorite book of all time is Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It's not new. Um, podcasts at the moment, I'm listening to Corona Cast because, you know, that's very mm-hmm. 2020. Um, and I'm also really enjoying the Australia Institute theory. They're doing a series on uh, economics. They've done a lot of really good sessions on the gas industry and electric vehicles. So I'm, I'm working my way through there. So that'll be my top three, I think. Yeah, yeah, wonderful. Next one, top three software tools you can't live without. Love this. My website for Send and Tread is with Shopify and I adore Shopify in every way. My website for Carbon Diet is strikingly and I adore them. They will, they just give the most marvellous custom support and they're just so easy. Drop and drag, drop and drag. It's all mm-hmm. got to be drop and drag. And I also use Canva Pro, which again is drop and drag design and it is fantastic. Yeah, love it. It sounds like, you know, you just you just rattled those off really, really quickly. So um, it's clear that you use them all the time. <laughs> um, any mantras, top three mantras that you try and live by or sayings that you try and live oh, by? Oh, I'm, um, I'm actually not much of a self-help person. So this is going to be a bit harder. Let's, let's start with the two I've come up with in the environment. Use less, choose greener. That's two mantras for you. Can we count that as two? Um, yes. Yeah. next mantra? I don't know. I don't have a mantra. I do make sure I do something that I like every day. Hey, I think I think that's as good as anything to live by. So we, yeah, just do something that you like every day. Um, it, I think, I think people sometimes get lost in doing stuff for other people or just doing stuff to because everyone else is doing it, even even if it's going to work. And I think it's nice to be able to just do something good and something that you like one once a day, even if it's for for me, it's often. Um, you know, having a sugary drink or something, but um, it, it it's just nice. I, so I love that. <laughs> um, top three people you follow or study and, and why? Oh, this is tougher. Oh, goodness. I'm going to embarrass him. I'm, I'm going to mention Tiny from the Green Shed, Tiny Streak. Mm-hmm. I, because we put our business together, sort of they incubated us, the Green Shed incubated us, and I spent a lot of time around Tiny. And he's an absolute dynamo inspiration of six billion ideas and nine billion of them will come out. It's just <laughs> he's, he's just this great energizing person to be around and he's landed a lot of really interesting business models. So mm-hmm. I, I, I will definitely name him. Three more people, three more people or accounts to follow. This is terrible. I'm obviously not um I'm obviously not getting enough sources from people. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna claim I'm gonna claim the greens on mass. Mm-hmm. I don't want to start mm-hmm. naming individuals. There's a bunch of very smart academics, business people, and environmentalists who are just doing all these amazing things in the greens. And this you can jump in there and get whatever answer you need on anything like this and i'm going to claim the school strikers there you go there's my inspiration the school strikers the school strikers oh they're amazing children children's are organizing mass public events nailing a media on message they know what they want they know exactly what the big problems in the world are they know exactly how to fix it and honestly all i need to do is keep a few seats warm in the assembly until they all turn 19. <laughs> until they're old enough, yeah. Take it over. Yeah. So the school strike is on mass. Love it. What an eclectic uh, <laughs> bunch of people to follow and study. Just a few from all over the place. But um, I love it. I never knew that um, Tiny's Green Shed was named after a person named Tiny. There you go. We might tiny. have to get him on the podcast. 
There's nothing about that man that's tiny. <laughs> Sounds like a really interesting person to talk to. Yep. Yeah. Well, um, that that sort of wrapped things up. And um, thank you, thank you for your time today, Joe. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a, it's been a blast. Yeah. Likewise. Lovely to chat. Mm-hmm.